This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Kev, a replay today is a wrap-up on a project you've been involved in for quite some time, right? That we have. Yeah, that we have. As you know, Thanksgiving just passed a little while ago, and I believe I gave one of the best Thanksgiving presents that I can give somebody. Through the past couple of months on our show, Mike and Michelle had some difficulties, uh, now customers and friends of mine. We helped them through a process. You can go back to the Your Valuable Home podcast and listen to all the issues that he was running yeah, into. Yeah, their house was destroyed by fire, right? Correct. Then it was a bad contractor, and it got worse before it got better. Our projection date at the time was November 30th, to move them in before November 30th, 2023. And we've worked as best as we could for such short amount of time. Two days before Thanksgiving, they got their CO, temporary CO. They've got it and they got to move in. So we have Mike back on the air to talk about how his life has changed with him and his family. So Mike, how do you feel now that everything's said and done that we said we could do to get you your temporary CO? Kevin, cannot thank you and your crew enough. It's unbelievable. My wife and I are ecstatic. We finally got our certificate of occupancy on Tuesday, and then my wife and I both took off work on Wednesday, got a box truck, moved everything in the house. I mean, it was a stressful day, but you know what? We got moved back in. We finally slept in our home Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, and well, we both said, hey, we're not working Thursday, but then, yeah, we've had a hectic week and moving everything, but now, just this morning, my wife and I just woke up together, and we just looked at each other like, thank God we are home, and my God, this place is beautiful oh my god it's just been a huge weight lifted off our shoulders just anxiety is just slowly fading away and uh it's 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 been great not he could not ask for a better thanksgiving <laughs> literally we were at we were at our thanksgiving dinner table and everyone's like you know we go around saying what are you thankful for and i was like i'll tell you what i'm so thankful for kevin kennedy i'm so thankful for you know for having our family back home and have and being able to live at home again Ugh. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I'll tell you what, Mike, give us a Cliff Notes version of what happened in terms of the fire and in terms of the contractor did a bad job before you got Kevin into the picture. October 22nd, 2022, we had a fire. It was contained in the garage, but it created so much smoke damage that it created a large loss insurance claim. We pretty much had to gut the entire house down to the studs, lost about 90% of our belongings. We hired these contractors, these guys that are basically just follow people around that have fires. And we hired them, didn't know any better. They took $145,000 worth of our money. The only thing they had to show for it was demolition, a pack out that they never even cleaned, although they charged us for, and some work that they 
did that we just had to rip out and do again. We have a lawsuit pending. Thank God Michelle found Kevin Kennedy and he's been working with us since August. He basically saved our lives, uh, saved our family. Yeah, our house looks freaking amazing. They did more work in the first week than these guys did in like seven months. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I can just go on about this. <laughs> you had to re-drywall the whole house? Too. There was no drywall from the beginning. So when I got there, the plumbing was, it was a disaster. What we did was the first couple of days just trying to get locked in. We actually brought the inspector, the township inspector out. I wasn't trying to sell Mike from the beginning, but I knew there was issues and I knew we weren't going to pass it. So I brought the township inspector out. We went over everything and right in front of Mike, I said to the township inspector, would you pass this? He goes, listen, I want to get involved, but it's bad. None of this will pass. You have to rip out and redo probably 80% of it for it to pass. And at that point, it was actually past that when the one inspector was up in the attic and they actually put a Y in the attic because they were going to dispense the air handler in the sewer line, which you can't do anyway. So I'd say it was about 90 some percent of it had to be ripped out. Well, there's no way to save it because you try saving a little piece would cost more money than just start from scratch, redo it, put everything back in code, and then just move forward with it. What percentage of the job did that represent? Well, there wasn't much work that the the, the other contractor did. So it wasn't much for me. I just had to adjust some framing. Like all the doors they put in, it was a joke. Uh, you can't put one stud to hold uh, a door, an interior door together, because the, the door's going to move and it's not going to open within a week. And you'll have to rip everything out and redo it. So that was the time to do it. There was a beam that was put in that didn't have any continuous footings that needed it. That was a guarantee we had to do, which we had to chop concrete out, put new footings in, and then what's called a haunch footing put all new LVL posts all the way up to the beam from the basement. Because when you have uh, all that weight needs to go somewhere, you can't just put it on plywood. That's what was done prior to this. But it was probably maybe two and a half weeks of ripping out. And then about another week and a half really to get it back to normal where then I can bring my guys in, which is bringing the plumber back in to start the filing process, do the electric, and get the drywall guys after all my inspections were done. And then we had windows. We put some new windows in and we set up for the future. Because when we set a temporary CO is that we didn't do the siding yet. And the windows are halfway done. And we changed them up because they are going to be putting the color of my choice. Mike didn't choose many things for the house. Should we say, is that correct, Mike? You didn't get to choose many options, but we got to choose the siding. Well, happy wife, happy life. Exactly. What I did was right in the beginning, I brought his wife over to my house and she saw the siding that we put up. It's called Timberline. It looks like an outside of an avocado. And we put the black windows on and I have black Provia doors and the Provia siding, the insulated structural siding. And 10 minutes after she she said, I, I, I want to go this route. Well, they already have windows now that were damaged in the fire. And they wanted to continue with the Provia line. So we put these Provia casement windows in with a certain grid pattern. It was a Craftsman style grid pattern, but we're set up for the future because what we had, we ran into again was this house was framed with a foam board, an insulated foam board. And his wife was putting up a little bit of resistance. She wanted the granite gray, the Provia granite gray, but I think we convinced her into putting the timber line up and we're going to be doing some Harbor Mill siding, which I want to show with the new coal black, which just came out. And we like to get that introduced and see if they like it, but it's going to be a whole process of it. But the key for us was doing this job to get them moved in because the November 30th date that I felt confident that I can get everything done, because it's a lot of work. And I wasn't doing the job straight through because I had kitchen finishing up and I started that job, which I do one job at a time. Then I had another kitchen and then I built a two car massive garage from scratch all in that same three month period with my small little team. And we got it done two days before Thanksgiving, and it was probably the coolest thing that we could do. Because Mike talks about how beautiful the house is, and his wife picked out gorgeous stuff. Me doing this is normal for me, but putting a smile on somebody's face, just watching his family grow into something where 
I know your kids, when we talked about it, didn't like to be there because of some bad experiences. The house smelled, it did, had a fire in it. To bring a positive experience to the family was probably one of the greatest Thanksgivings I had for VSP, my company, in the past 25 years. Mm. And it was great to see them just loving the house. That was awesome. That was the best thing for me. But uh, I'm going to have Mike on to just talk about the good, positive things that went through now that he's in. You know, the, the one conversation, I said, Mike, do me a favor, call your wife up. And she was working at the time, so it was tough because it was maybe around 10 o'clock. We got the inspection, everything was done, and and she's like, Mike, why are you calling me? Why are you calling me? And I'm, I, so I answered. I said, Michelle, hey, listen, it's it's me, and uh, I just want to say congratulations. She's like, for what? I said, you can move back in. And I know she got quiet for a while. It was nice that she got her dream come true, the wish that, you know, from the beginning of the fire yeah. to now. A couple went through a major ordeal here. Yes, and we don't like to see anybody go through that. Yeah. Again, Mike, it's not to throw you under the bus, but hopefully our listeners can understand what not to do when hiring or if you have a fire to hire the wrong guy. And that's been great advice. And sorry, it had to be at your expense. So let me understand something, Mike. You started a suit against this guy and you were out still 145000 bucks. Is that right? Well, I just found out yesterday I'm actually out more than that. I'm actually out an additional $80,000 because there's something called depreciation value in personal belongings. And because I had to use that money to restore the house because I was down $145,000, they want invoices saying that we've replaced all of our belongings and we haven't. And so now I just found out there's an additional $80,000 that I'm not going to get back so that I have to add to the lawsuit. It's terrible. And here's the thing. We got to wait six months because the statute of limitations for a lien is six months in the state of Pennsylvania. So smart of us to wait the six months before we proceed with the lawsuit so it's looking like that we're not going to be getting our money back for quite some time but there will be a step forward look at how much good happened back in your house so that's step one step two is getting your money back and it's probably going to happen as well yeah yeah no it's anything i can do to help other people not go through this oh my god please let me know just do your research be patient don't let these guys jump on you and don't sign anything, my God, without doing your research. But again, we, we like to put some of the pictures that we redid of your house on social media, if you don't mind, on the Your Valuable Home podcast. And so they can understand what we talked about over the past three months of you coming on the air and seeing how great the place looks. It really does. And uh, I know your wife did a great job on putting the puzzle together with picking the colors and really having some fun doing that. And now you're in. And that's the most important part. And uh, when you said, you know, your family's in there on Thanksgiving, it brings a lot of joy to you and your family and all your friends knowing that you're in there. And uh, that's, I'm, I'm glad we could help you out. Yeah, absolutely. I, Kevin, we, we, we can't thank you enough. We literally are going to be spending the rest of our lives <laughs> trying to make it up to you. <laughs> Because that's 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 what you did. <laughs> I don't. I as you know, I I don't expect that. I don't want anything from you. I just friendships just fine enough. I told you from the beginning that when you hire a good contractor, you're going to find this is what is going to be offered. And I just felt like I had to do that for you. So you didn't know each other when you first stepped into this situation. Nope. Okay. No, nope, never met. It was heart wrenching to me to see what they went through. And it's nice that I was local that I could help people out. But the only way I can help people out across the country is to just give them the right advice. And I know sometimes, again, it comes at the expense of homeowners that went through this. But if we can get that out and have people, again, Mike said it earlier, patient. I've been finding more and more people are just not patient. They want to sign with the contractor, start immediately, but there's no product even there. Going through with a lot of kitchens right now. Well, we want to get it done before the holidays. Or we want to get it done before springtime. And it, you're not even going to well, get a product in by that. Generally speaking, Americans are not into deferred gratification. Everything's got to be now, now, now. Right. But this circumstance is not just now, now, now. The house he was living in, the rental house, was... Uh, they were done. They had to move out. 
the insurance money. Mike had it was done. It was they won't give you any more insurance money. And with you being in the hole with the contractor taking your money, you were really in a tough spot. And that's what I was trying to do on my end was to not have him go deeper into a hole. Is to give him a great price. You know, do it as best as I can. Did I satisfy you with everything we did? Absolutely, and some. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still looking for my donuts from your daughter, by the way. Uh, she owes me a dozen chocolate frosted donuts. Over the past couple times, probably three or four weeks that we were wrapping up, it's building a nice relationship with the family. Well, uh, our little thing was every time that Mike brought donuts over, his daughter would take my donuts, and she would run around the house, and I would have to chase her to get my donuts. When you build a relationship like that with your contractor, I assure you the job's going to go much better, the percentage-wise of having the right contractor from the beginning. You and the family know it. It's the, If somebody's doing the right thing after three or four months and you're happy with it, uh, that's the kind of relationship you want to build. And that's what I tell with new contractors today. If you don't build that relationship with the, the homeowner from the beginning as a contractor, how confident do you feel you're going to be able to sell from continuing from there? Because when that homeowner feels that trust, they're going to refer you. And that's the best form of advertising that I've noticed over 34 years that I've been in business. Agreed? I would say, yeah, absolutely. Anything I can do to help you guys. And again, we can't thank you enough. You don't have to thank me anymore. You did it plenty of times. We just appreciate friendship. So that's what we're looking at now because everything's said and done on our end. Yeah, we're just happy to service you. Kev, we've got a very interesting horror story today. It's a horror story that has a happy ending. Wow, what about that? Where'd that come from? So I remember you and I talking about all the bad guy bulletin and all the problems that we're having with certain products. Well, we got hit with one of those. We bought a refrigerator, a very high-end one, 42-inch, very nice refrigerator, and we were having certain issues. And through the course of three years, the issues were escalating, and they kept escalating. But I do find it with a lot of the customers and a lot of manufacturers that because of COVID, I always call them the COVID appliances. We've been having problems. People, my customers were calling me up saying, hey, I'm having problems with the appliance. And what can you do? And I said, well, listen, contact the manufacturer, call where we bought it from. appliances that were built during the COVID mm-hmm. period? Why would that have caused problems? Well, they were trying to rush them out at the time. Think about it. The whole world was shut down. So nobody yeah. was working. And then when it opened up, everybody wanted to get so much work done. And everybody was so busy. So we were putting orders in for whether it's windows, appliances, siding, anything you could possibly think of. And they were not there. They were not there to be found. So people were waiting almost a year for certain appliances. I had some just recently completed in January 2023. They waited a year and a half for the refrigerator. So that's what I looked at. But we were having issues that maybe the gasket wasn't going because that was one of our problems. It wasn't working. It was sporadically working. Certain issues that were coming up and people were asking me about it. And I said, listen, the best thing is to call the appliance place because it was under warranty. So I know the warranty departments were going crazy trying to fix all the problems because of COVID, they're just trying to rush out these products as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. I tell you, there's probably at least a dozen times in three years that the appliance company that we deal with, that they're the ones that you can purchase every manufacturer through. And the boxes were absolutely perfect. They brought them out to the job ahead of time. Again, the boxes were perfect. We would pull them out of the box. Range hoods were notorious for this. And they were crushed. They were damaged. They were dented. But with these problems, every job I was going through of having issues. It really messes up the schedule, too. Yeah. Boy, does it ever. And then the people don't have an appliance, whether it's a stovetop or a range hood. So I couldn't get my final CO because I needed these appliances in place because we had to get it inspected and make sure that these appliances are grounded properly. Right. They were asking for that. So that's another delay that we were having. But with me, I got to feel firsthand what it felt like to go through this. And it was a difficult experience. 
But I will say most of the companies that you and I have talked about through, again, not mentioning any names, it was horrible to deal with because customer service, as you call it, is what? The cost of customer service has been passed on to the customer. Right. All the time you spend on the phone and, you know, not understanding people, what they say, getting a rigmarole runaround all the time. It's just an epidemic. So when you get a good story, it's like, wow, maybe things are changing, you know? This was a good story. My wife has been, she has been stressed out for months over the years of just having to call appliance companies because they said it was out of warranty and trying to get it fixed because customer service is customer disservice. And I agree. I'm telling you, I'm still having these problems of calling certain companies up. I'll give you an example. I just did one company that I, I've been using for 12 years that I had the, the Shore House. And they just recently told me that they shut the system off because I didn't pay my bill. After about 45 minutes and tons of emails. You ever do those oh, it's, chat it's emails? Never, it's never short. It took me days and weeks. It's always like a tooth extraction. Dealing with them because I don't like being on the computer. And I'm doing that chat through them that you can Forget go through that. that. That's just that's a total waste of time. They said we're going to have a senior it advisor. Ne- it never works. Never works. Well, a senior you get, advisor You get so far with the chat or the bot, and the bot doesn't know what to do then. Right, what's the problem? I tell them the problem. It, it, we don't understand that. I, I, I put a seven-page paragraph in. What do you mean you couldn't understand it? But they did say we're going to get a senior advisor to look into it. Never got back to me. So finally, after 46 minutes, 22 seconds that I was on the phone waiting for customer service, I finally got through to somebody. And they were saying, I, I didn't pay my bill. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to pull it up. And again, I'm not a gambling man, but when I'm gambling, I'm pretty much guaranteed right. So I pulled up my statement from the bank. It was on my computer. And I said, listen, is this being recorded? I said, I've got a million dollars for you cash right here, right now. If you can prove to me that I never paid, because I'm looking at every invoice that was taken out of my account from your company, and it was due on the 1st. This was paid the 31st. We went back months and months. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. You, you did pay. And I said, I've been paying for 12 years on time and in full, correct? She's like, well, yeah. How's a multi-billion dollar company mess this up? Because now I had my Wi-Fi turned on, which automatically deactivated my HVAC system. And now say it was in dead of the winter and I had no heat. Ooh, the insurance companies don't want to see that. So it's nice to see the Wi-Fi because it wasn't working. Then now I can make sure that my house is protected. Okay, let's get back to the happy ending to this other story with the refrigerator. I just wanted to vent some more. It felt great. So the happy ending was my wife finally went to the top. And I'm going to name the company because they did such a great job. And I just emailed them a few days ago saying that I'd like to have them on the show. I was extremely pleased. And I'm really going to more than enough push the product because I've been dealing with GE appliances for so long. The company's okay. GE. And my wife spoke to, uh, she emailed the president, I believe his name was Kevin Nolan. They got back to us. I believe it was his uh, assistant that got back to us right away. Mm-hmm. was very thorough about everything that was going on. And walked us through step by step and helped us through the whole process to get this done. After weeks and weeks of getting all the parts in, they came and serviced the unit. Now that we've got everything, they put everything together. And I'm figuring we're going to get a pretty good bill because, again, it's out of warranty. Ron, we got a 0.00 cent bill. They fixed it for free. And I couldn't have been more pleased with GE products than I've ever been. But now I'm even more happy that uh, they came and did it. Look, I'm not expecting they're going to say they're going to cover everybody for this, but it was just an ongoing thing. We had everything documented from the beginning while it was in warranty. That no, we had that's, a, that's a heartwarming end to a really you know tough situation. It was. It was. But for uh, very rarely to hear companies stepping up very, like this. Very, very admirable thing to do. Yeah, that, that's the way it should work, actually. So by them covering us in that warranty, because they knew we had problems from the beginning. It's not that we're having a problem three years later. We documented and had everything from the beginning. Think of how much more work now they're going to get out of this. 
So sometimes you figure if you own a company, sometimes you need to lose a little bit to gain a lot. Because I spoke to the people that I deal with the appliances and I told them, you will push GE products on all my kitchens. I really like to, to go. So don't, don't try to sell anything else, but I really want you to push the GE. And I told them the story and it was great that the appliances that they sell, GE was being one of them. They're, they're backing it up. Again, I'm not saying it's a guarantee for everybody, but if you're having a problem right from the beginning, uh, the GE did step up for us and I couldn't be more pleased with the GE product. That's a very good story. Yeah. We've done a lot of them throughout the years. We've done a lot and it just really gives me more ammo to push their product with other contractors that I know because you always want a company to stand behind your work, stand behind the product because people are paying a lot of money for this. And I'm sure you find it today that customer disservice is, is more rampant than customer satisfaction. But this was a great customer satisfaction. I, I really I couldn't be more pleased about what they did. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to pass on. Anytime you can avoid that kind of customer service nonsense, and you certainly have, it's a good story to tell and passed on. Yeah, so I want to let everybody know that we we were extremely pleased with GE and because uh, we have all GE products at our house. Everything's yeah, GE. I don't blame you. So it just makes it feel better that I can keep selling it because I know they've got our back. Okay, and stick with us because we've got a great feature coming up with Jessica Louts from the National Association of Realtors talking about their survey of home buyers and sellers in 2023. Interesting stuff. A lot of changes, too, versus the last year that they did it. Stay tuned. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Hey, Kev, we've talked many times about the importance of curb appeal and the value quality products add to exterior home improvements. Provia fiberglass entry doors and vinyl replacement windows add that value. And for huge impact, curb appeal, and value, there's Provia vinyl and polypropylene siding. Yep, the super polymer formulation of Provia siding reflects heat and protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup for lasting color and value. Provia siding comes in traditional, insulated, and decorative profiles, all with the look and texture of real wood. People often stop and ask me about my Provia Cedar Max siding. I've actually gotten siding jobs that way. Okay, so how about colors and styles? My customers love the extensive palette of popular colors, including dark and bold hues. New colors for 2023 include Miss Gray, Harvest Red, and Pine. And Provia offers a wide variety of styles from clapboard to Dutch lap, board and batten, and new Harbor Mill shingle and shake siding. Harbor Mill is reminiscent of traditional rough sawn shingle and staggered hand-split cedar shake. Both profiles are modeled after genuine cedar pieces using highly accurate laser scanning to ensure all the detail and texture of real cedar wood grain. Harbor Mill siding was designed with the installer in mind, incorporating built-in features that aid in a more efficient, hassle-free installation. The lightweight rigid panels are easier to handle and include locks, guides, and marks for the installer. That makes for a quicker installation and beautiful curb appeal. Yup, and you can see it all and have the colors and styles work with Provia entry doors and vinyl replacement windows at Provia's fabulous website, provia.com backslash YVH. Check out Provia's design center on the website and experiment with their exterior home visualizer to see how all the different styles, colors of Provia doors, windows, siding, stone, and roofing work together. Once again, Provia delivers on its mission to serve by caring for details in ways others won't. Visualize the possibilities at Provia.com backslash YVH. 
Okay, Ron, it's time for the featured segment. I believe we have one of our favorite returning guests coming on. We have with us today Jessica Goss, Deputy Chief Economist and Vice President of Research for the National Association of Realtors and a very good friend of your valuable home. Jessica is here to share with our listeners key takeaways from the association's 2023 profile of home buyers and sellers. Key issue. Jessica, warm welcome back to your valuable home. And NAR has been profiling home buyers and sellers every year since 81. That's 42 years now of providing your members with key intelligence and real estate markets nationwide. 2023 is the first year of your post-COVID study. Did the high price of homes and rising interest rates drive findings this year, at like household income requirements for buyers? Yeah, this year was really striking when we look at the report. We have been seeing these really big swings last year in the data when we look at people moving further out because of COVID, needing that space. And this year, what we're seeing is just home buyers reacting to higher home prices and higher interest rates. So this year, we actually saw income of home buyers jump nearly $20,000 across the board. And for first-time home buyers, their household income was $25,000 higher. It does not mean that they got a raise in the last year. It just means that the housing market is pricing out more affordable consumers out of the market who could not find a more affordable place to live. And so unfortunately, we're just seeing wealthy consumers in the housing market today. Are we seeing a situation here of more of a pronounced impact on haves and have-nots? We are. We absolutely are. So we're seeing that people who can come into the housing market fresh as first-time home buyers are just wealthier and they have a higher household income. They have more financial assets that they can tap for their down payment. Maybe that's a 401k or maybe they're taking from even cryptocurrency or their pension, stocks and bonds. But those who can't enter into the housing market, they're less likely to be able to do that. There are people who maybe it's your local school teacher or your bus driver. They're not able to save for this down payment that we need now with this higher price of homes like we would have a couple of years ago. We truly have a shortage of homes in this country. We've been underbuilding since coming out of the Great Recession. We don't have enough housing inventory for everyone who wants to enter into the market at the exact same time that we have this huge millennial wave who's trying to find their first home. And we know that seniors are aging in place. So all of this pressure is being put onto the housing market. We just don't have enough housing stock. Even as interest rates have gone up, we're still seeing multiple bids happen with about a quarter of homes consistently moving more than the asking price in recent months. So we know that there are bidding wars that are still happening. What percentage of all buyers in the 2023 study did first-time home buyers represent? So it's 32% in the most recent year. And while that's an increase from a historic low of 26% last year, we're still well under the historic norm. So in a typical market, we want the first-time home buyer share to be closer to 40%. The historical average is actually precisely 38%. When we look at this today, what we know is that we're just leaving behind these first-time buyers. And I talked about those multiple offer situations and those bidding wars. I think what's happening is that all cash buyers, repeat buyers, they're the ones who have made all of this housing equity in the last few years as home prices have gone up. And so they're able to come into the housing market and say, well, I know precisely what I want. And if there's a bidding war, they're the one who's going to get it. Now, bidding wars get really ugly. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of housing wealth right now. And if that's in the location that they want to be in, even if they have to completely remodel their home, they're willing to do that right now, which is pretty striking because of the lack of inventory that we have. Yeah, and I don't see anything happening, change that anytime soon. Do you? 
well, we need to be building more. We know that housing starts have gone up in some months and it's just not consistent. A couple of the reasons that we're seeing that home builders are holding back is really because of rising interest rates. They have to borrow to build as well. And so they're having a hard time bringing this new inventory in. But also we know that consumers who would buy a new build product, they have to be wealthier. They have to be able to afford a higher price point. And so they don't have a huge motivating factor right now to be able to build those products. Well, with home prices rising, how much were first-time buyers putting down? This is pretty striking too. We actually saw that their down payments went up. So in the last year, the typical down payment for first-time home buyers is 8%. And for repeat buyers, it's 19%. Those are the highest down payments we've actually seen in two decades. When we look at this, to me, it means that perhaps that first-time home buyer who is wealthier has more money to put down. But also, I think it means that if there's a bidding war, they want to show that they have more skin in the game, that they're willing to put down more, that they are a really serious buyer for this property. But 8%, you're carrying a pretty hefty mortgage. Yes, you are. You would be carrying a hefty mortgage and in some situations, even paying PMI as well. So insurance showing that you can actually make that mortgage payment. Yeah, sure. It's got to be a husband and wife working. Most young people couldn't do that with one person on their own. So we are seeing it's pretty striking, actually. So right, dual household incomes certainly would be easier to make that payment, but we're seeing more roommates come into the market too, multi-generational buying. So thinking of different ways that you could pool different income sources and different wealth for that down payment to be able to enter into today's housing market. Well, did any of that down money come in the form of gifts or loans from family members? Oh, of course, the bank of mom and dad is always a good Uh, one. The bank of mom and dad. (laughs) That's a nice bank. (laughs) For some reason, I can't get into that bank. <laughs> we are seeing, and it, you know, it's traditionally about a quarter of the market, and that's what we saw this year too. But you know, what's striking to me actually this year is that while about a quarter of first-time home buyers did use the bank of mom and dad for a gift or loan, we also saw that these first-time home buyers they were looking at different assets, so looking at the stocks and bonds, cryptocurrency to take from their down payment as well. So it's about actually equal the people who used financial assets versus the bank of mom and dad. I would imagine that household income requirements are also going way up, aren't they? They are. Lending conditions are tight. We know that banks are are restricting their lending. And so we have seen that that household income of buyers just jumped so tremendously, $20,000 for across the board and $25,000 for first-time home buyers. But it is because lending standards are tight. You have to have a high credit score. You have to have money in reserves to show that if something went wrong in that home, that you have a backup plan there or if you have a temporary loss of income. But we know that home buyers, they have to survive pass all of these new hurdles that weren't there a few years ago as banks have tightened up this lending. I know that first-time home buyers were often frustrated by high home prices, lack of supply, and crazy bids over asking. It must have kept a lot of first-timers out of the market in 22. Did that change at all in 2023? Well, it has come down the crazy bids. So if we look back at 2022, there was actually as many as 5.5 offers at the peak for the typical home that was on the market. And that's all-time high in our data. We have seen that come down into the threes in the last year, but we're still talking about three offers for a home, which means that there's still going to be two people who walk away disappointed. They didn't actually be able to successfully have that contract accepted and move into their dream home. So we know that that we have are a tremendous lack of inventory to meet the demand that we have today. Is there anything in 2023 data that would signal societal shifts? For example, purchases by married couples versus singles. 
Yeah, I think this is pretty interesting. So we know that overall marriage rates are down. So if we look back, for instance, back in the 1960s, which I know is a long way back, 70% of American adults were married. And today, just about half of American adults are married. We're seeing in the data a real reflection of this. So there are more singles in the market, especially single women. And we are seeing roommates come into the market at single digits. But I think it's pretty interesting just to see that trend come in. And what we were talking about, that dual income, you have to be able to compete against repeat buyers who have higher incomes, who have a lot of housing equity if you want to enter the market. I think single women doing this are really incredible superheroes, honestly, being able to do this because they traditionally have a lower household income. I think it's interesting to see roommates saying, you know what, I'm sick of renting. Let's just do this together. Was diversity in the mix this past year too? We are seeing there is more diversity this year. So seeing more racial minorities, we're also seeing more households who don't speak English as their primary language within their household coming into the housing market. I think this is encouraging, but we still see these at low shares. When we look at the last year's data, what we saw is that those shares really declined. And I think it was a reflection of fewer household first-time homebuyers. And we know that first-time homebuyers are traditionally more likely to be minority buyers. So we're just seeing that those are working in conjunction. So we are seeing them come back into the market, but we're still seeing it's really low shares. What are the ages of the first-time buyers? We actually see that first-time home buyers are pretty old at this point. They're 35 years old as a median, and it's snuck down a little bit from 36 the past year, but it's still quite high. And if we think about that historically, a first-time home buyer was between the ages of 28 and 33 years old. And in the most recent years, we're just seeing that you have to save for a longer period of time. We know we've been talking about people losing out repeatedly on bids, so they may celebrate a birthday during that time period too. So it's just becoming harder to enter into the housing market we're seeing at a later age. It concerns me, to tell you the truth, because I think that's several years of lost housing equity that they may have had between 28 and 35 now. Contrast that to when the big explosion of suburban development started post-war, when people were coming back from World War II, the average age was probably about 25 or 30, right? It had to have been, right. And so, right, we're looking at a completely different home buyer, someone who needs different things in their home. I mean, if you're at the age of 35, you're probably not necessarily looking at a smaller place at this point. You're probably looking for a single family home. We know that in the data that they are. They're purchasing single family homes. So it's a different type of buyer than what we would have seen at 28 years old. I think there's also a mindset coming out of the Great Recession. And I've done a little research on this too, just the idea of a quick flip and thinking about quick housing equity. There's a lot of people who lost in that mindset coming out of the Great Recession, the boom and the bust. And so I think now we have this hangover effect of a, of a first-time buyer moving into their home and saying, no, I want to live here for a decade. And that's a difference that we haven't seen in the data before. It's pretty recent. We used to think of a first-time home buyer living in their home. They're expected tenure about five years, six to seven years that they would move. They're not thinking of their home that way anymore. What about the presence of children in the family? Were there a family oh. is purchased in a home? <laughs> This has dropped considerably and perhaps not a surprise if we pop on social media or any other forum. There's a lot of child-free movements that are going on and some big headlines figures on that, but birth rates overall are down. But we also know that home buyers today, they're older and there's more repeat buyers in the market. So they could have kids, but those kids are long out of the household. So we actually have seen the share of home buyers who have a kid under the age of 18 has actually dropped to lowest share we've ever seen. It's just 30%. It used to be a high closer to 60 
60%. So we really are seeing a big shift here in what people want from their home and who's living in that home. Purchases by multi-generational households. That was up this year, wasn't it? It is, yeah. So it's at 14%. So it's 14% of all home buyers are purchasing a multi-generational home. I think it is striking. I think it's a sticky trend. I don't think this is going anywhere. I know that we've talked about this on the show before. I just think it's so interesting how people want to support each other now. And I think it's a COVID trend, but it's also a financial trend. It's both of those put together. It's also an elder care trend. Elder care is very expensive. Child care is very expensive expensive. So why don't we support each other in a different way? I did it at my house. I have my in-laws living with me and that's one of our biggest things. We had two last year. We have three already signed for 2024 multi-generational living additions that we're going to be putting on. So it's a big thing right now. Families moving in together and cost-wise, it actually works out better in the long run to do it that way. Not that you're going to get the money out of it. That's what I always tell people. All this money you sink in, your your house isn't going to increase. If the value of the house is $600,000, you got to put a $300,000 addition on with all the work you got to do. You're not getting $900,000 the next day out of it. But it's that cost factor, the ease of having that multi-generational kids, elderly, the care made my life a heck of a lot easier. But in your case, the ones that you got booked now, did they mention the economics of it as the biggest factor? Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. There you go. Well, during the COVID period, we also saw a lot of migration out of cities, remote work, etc. Did that continue in 2023? So it retreated. And I, I don't know that this is a huge surprise necessarily since the headlines seem to be CEOs want employees back. There is that tug of war that seems to be going on between employees and CEOs, but we did see a retreat back to the distance move. So inner suburbs being more popular perhaps than they were in the last couple of years. We had seen an all-time high last year of people moving 50 miles from the place they had lived before, which is quite a long distance actually. Historically, it's just been 10 to 15 miles. In the last year, it retreated down to 20. So it's still longer than what we hadn't seen historically, but it's not the extremes that we saw during COVID. As people said, oh my gosh, I'm moving out to a small town. I'm moving to a really rural area. There's a little bit of that going on, but not as much as we had seen before. Yeah, I can understand why this is happening. What about the dominant type of purchase among the buyer group? So they are purchasing single family homes. We are seeing that they want a single family home that is bigger, perhaps looking towards suburbs as the most popular place for all buyers to be purchasing in. So perhaps not a huge surprise, but I think it also is interesting. About a quarter of first time home buyers are actually purchasing in small towns. So it still is really attractive to move to a small town. Perhaps affordability being really key there, but also thinking about someone who's 35 years old, they could have a growing family that they want to start thinking about schools and a bigger yard and a small town will provide those types of amenities. Are there any other significant findings on the buyer side? What percentage of the 2023 buyers, for instance, did the first time buyer represent? So it's 32% this year. You know, I have to say that I hope that in the coming year, we're going to see more first-time home buyers in the market. But I'm concerned about the tug of war that we're going to see. And really, we're going to see more seniors, people who are retirees, baby boomers, saying, I want to find my ideal location. Because we know in the next couple of years, every single boomer is going to be over the age of 60, and they will be thinking about retirement. When we think about this huge population of millennials coming into the market as first-time home buyers, I wonder what's going to happen to that in the next couple of years. Yeah, me too. And I I think with the interest rates where they are, there's a lot of homeowners who have a very low interest rate in the 2 or 3% range who, unless they have a good motivating factor to leave that home, are going to say, nope, 
I'm going to hold on to this property. And they may even buy a second home with their housing equity that they have without actually letting go of that original home. And that, that could be a real detriment to the housing market. Sure. Absolutely. That's what I've been seeing more lately is that a lot of people are thinking about the retirement, keeping their house and then renting it out. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not ready to do that yet, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. Right. So, but that would hurt what Jessica said about talking about hurting the housing market because that house is not going up for sale. So the inventory is not going to be back on the market. That's correct. Yeah. I, I suspect that could be the case, especially if they refinanced into that two or 3% range. I mean, those were incredibly low interest rates, historically low. We're never going to see those again. But I think we have to keep in mind that we, we need that housing inventory too. But it's a personal decision for everyone out there what they want to do with that home. Well, also they have the availability too that if you want to get out of that 8% interest, they're paying cash for the house. Jessica, have you seen a lot of people purchasing homes in cash? Yes. Yeah, we certainly have. In fact, it's near all-time highs. We we are seeing for the last year, more than a quarter of the market is paying all cash for homes. And I, I think, again, as we see these multiple offer situations continue to happen, it's going to be that all-cash buyer is going to continue to win out. And that's going to continue to be a retiree in all instances. For half of older boomers, half of older boomers in the last year paid all cash. So we know that they're the ones who have the cards in the, in the housing market right now. If we're talking about a generation transfer of wealth that continues to happen between haves and have-nots in the housing market. Did sellers remain apprehensive about giving up no mortgage or low interest? I think so. You know, this study is at a successful uh, seller, so we don't know that precisely, but I think we know that inherently, that with the tightened inventory that we see with these, it seems to be nearly on a monthly basis, we're saying this is the lowest inventory of any October that we've ever seen in our data. Or any June in our data, we've never seen inventory this low. It's not every month, but it's pretty frequent. As we think about that, we know know that one of the reasons is a lack of building, but we also know it's because people don't want to sell. And so both of these factors at the same time are really restricting the inventory in the market. Is there any significance to where sellers settled after they sold? I think there is. I think the motivating factor to sell is actually one of the more striking things for me. The motivating factor for sellers today to actually sell their home and move is to be close to friends and family. That's a choice. That's not something like I have a new job and I have to move for this new job. This isn't I have to move because I'm getting married or divorced, which are traditionally big factors and they they still are. But the number one reason to move is actually to be close to friends and family. That's a choice to perhaps a retiree move close to the grandkids. Did you find any regional differences in the data? East Coast versus Midwest versus West Coast versus Gulf Southwest? In this study, we don't actually divide it by region. We just report it on a national scale. But I suspect that there are regional differences that are going on, especially as we know from other work that we've done, that there is migration flow into the Sunbelt areas consistently. We really are seeing them very attractive places because of weather, because of job markets. People can have more bang for their buck, essentially, when they go to buy because of housing affordability. So we do know that that is a very popular place to move to. Did we leave any stone unturned here. (laughs) The only stone that I will say that is unturned here is that we did see that both buyers and sellers want representation. They're using an agent to buy and sell and they absolutely do want that because it's such a complicated market, especially if we think about on the buyer side, the multiple offers that they could be seeing. You need not only an agent to help you find the right home, but to help you actually get your offer accepted, to help negotiate for you. And we are seeing that buyers want that agent and that help. Absolutely. And you don't want to mess it up. This has been 
wonderful. We'll be back at you again. Sounds great. It was always nice talking to both of you. So thank you so much for having me on. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship. The Provia way. That's this week's podcast. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 